welcome. Come on in. I love the fellowship. Keep keep fellowshipping, man. Uh, this is what the young adults do. Just keep talking. Except for the young adults, when they make eye contact, that's something different. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning. Yes, it's a, it's it's. I think it's so amazing to start the new year on Sunday, the Lord's Day. I mean, it's it's amazing for me. My wife said uh, on uh, a few days ago, she said, um, "So, what do you think about the church service on Sunday? You know, there are churches that are not meeting on Christmas, and I'm like, I'm really hostile to that. I want to meet, you know." <laughs> And she says, you know, how about people that don't show up on the first? I go, I don't know about them, but for me, it sets the tone for the year. I go, oh my goodness, I love starting the first day of the year on Sunday, the Lord's Day. I love every, you know, New Year's where I get to, you know, lay down our lives and, and, and put it before the Lord and say, what's for tomorrow, Lord? What does this year hold for us? And my wife and I, we do this and and we just pray it all the way through. And we say, Lord, you know, we were saying, uh, Lord, if you want us to go to the Middle East, we'll go with Jordan. We'll, you know, we love starting new work. So we've done it in all over the world for many years. And, uh, and then after we prayed that prayer, you know, we were finished and my wife said, would we really go to the Middle East? And God called it over. And, and, and then we, we came to the conclusion, yeah, so yes, we would go. It's, it's the love of Christ has compelled us to a life of obedience. You know, he gave us his all, and so in return, I want to give him our, my all. And so and my wife, it, we, we're kind of like the Priscilla, Aquila of this time. You know, we, we, as in the book of Acts, you see those two couples going everywhere in Rome and then over to... Ephesus, well, Corinth, and then Ephesus, and you just see them ministering. My wife and I do the same thing. We're we're so privileged to be able to be an instrument of God's hand, and uh, and you know we're willing to obey Him. But for now, the Lord has us in Santa Rosa, so we're committed, and uh, we are overwhelmed uh, by the divine appointments that God gives to us to minister to His people here in Santa Rosa. So. This morning we're in Luke 10, uh, and let's pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we give you this time. We pray that you would open up our spiritual minds, our, our ears, that we might hear what you have for us. We pray that by your word and your Holy Spirit that you'd cause your word to come alive in our souls. We ask that you would speak to us and then radically change us that we might live that life of obedience, that life that, that seems abnormal to most in this world because they don't comprehend what you have done for us. We give you this time, and we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, my message here, Luke chapter 10, verse 120, is uh, titled, We Are All Missionaries. Now, please don't, don't turn it off. Don't, don't turn your ears off or, oh my goodness, he's going to speak about this. You know, I, I'm going to uh, unpack it for us this morning, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through the 70 that are sent out there in Israel. This statement that we are all missionary is birthed from the Great Commission 
when Jesus died and rose again, he gave us a command there in Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. I want to read it to you. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. So that's the great command. The word mission means that you have an important assignment. Everyone was given an assignment. The mission is to make disciples. And the only way to do that is to share the gospel, the good news with every single person. That's our mission. The go that Jesus is referring to is not necessarily to go across the ocean like Jordan there, though it certainly is a part of it. Jesus also meant to go to your neighbor, your friends, schoolmate, someone you work with. It means be a disciple maker as you go about your daily life. This morning I want to take a look at the 70 that were sent out to Israel as missionary. Remember that in chapter 9 Jesus sent the 12. And so in chapter 10 here he's going to send the 70. He's laid out a format. The, The format is this, that In the three years with the disciples, then he sends them out. He disciples them for three years, and then he sends them out to do a work. And it's kind of the the same format that we establish our Bible colleges throughout the world. We have two years where they're studying the Bible. The third year, they're doing internship with us. Uh, We're showing them how to teach, how to preach. You know, it's a fun time for me when I come and visit them. Uh, I used to be there for months and months with them. But uh, what I do with them, and in, in this case, in Luke chapter 9 and 10, he, he hadn't fully been with them three years, but he teaches them how to evangelize and he challenges them, to do, uh, challenges them all to do this very work. And this is what I do for our guys in India and Nepal and Africa all over the world, is that most of us are deathly afraid to share the gospel. I, I'm there with you guys. I, you know, uh, I think the only guy that I've ever known that was comfortable at sharing the gospel with ease is Pastor Ross. You know, Pastor Ross, man, you, you go with him, you, he's going to share with everybody. You know, um, whether he's on his bikes or roller skates, well, he doesn't roller skate, but uh, whatever, wherever he is, you know, he's, he's going to share the gospel. But I, what I like to do is I like to take our students and I'll take them to a restaurant and we'll order. And then typically... The manager comes out and he greets us because I'm a foreigner. And then I begin to speak with him and then I begin to share the gospel. But where my, you know, my abilities in is our language, our language barrier. He, he may speak English, but it still breaks down when it comes to the gospel. So at that time, I'll nudge my student. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> you know? And their eyes go this big. <laughs> what, 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 what? Share Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's all training, right? And, and it's fun because at the end of the three years, they're ready to go. And they do. They go forth and they plant churches and stuff. And so uh, the format is laid out. Jesus disciples the 12. He, uh, you know, and, and then he, he sends them out. And then the 70 we're going to read this morning, he sends them out. I have a, a friend uh, who is the founder of Saving Grace World Mission he always, he's a fiery speaker, and he always says, the church has it all wrong now. The format is wrong. We're, instead of being on a battleship, we're on a cruise ship, you know, because <laughs> you know? we're no longer doing this format, you know, and, and it has to come back in play here. We're all 
to be a light in the kingdom of God. We're all to share the gospel somehow, some way, uh, and, then, and then share it through our words as well as our deeds. Our deeds speak loud, but our words speak louder. It's very important. Romans chapter 10 says that. How can they hear if there's no speaker, if there's no one that's sent? And so that's very clear. So this morning I want to look at the 70, and there are seven truths that I want to uh, speak about in regards to what Jesus has instructed them. The seven truths are laid out here, and I, and I put it up there on the slide. The Lord sends the laborers into harvest. Uh, it's always Jesus who sends men uh, and women and then pray for more laborers. Jesus will give this command. And then danger will always be present. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Trust in God's provision. One of, the, one of the most difficult lessons I had to learn in the mission field uh, was to trust God's provision. Uh, and I'll share that in, uh, shortly. Uh, proclaim the gospel. You know, it's, it's, it's not enough to do good works. Um, by the way, uh, I've lived in the mission field for many years. And one of the things that it's not lacking is good works. Uh, we have social services of all kinds all over the world, but we don't have preachers. And we don't have gospel preachers. They, you know, it's very little that is sharing the gospel. Um, we were in Nepal, and when the earthquake broke out, uh, we, there was many organizations with us. I don't want to name them because some of you might be supporting them. Uh, and, uh, but Calvary Chapel was represented there. And they told us to quit sharing the gospel. And the majority of the social helps are all Christians. And they all agreed except for three of us. Samaritan Purse, us, and another small group. We said, no, we'll, we don't need to be a part of this group. Because the social service is a platform to share the gospel. Now, Samaritan Purse with Franklin Graham and those guys, they, they saw what we, how we stood up and said no, and they said, we're going to supply you with everything. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of dollars of supplies to minister to the people as we preach the gospel. It was profound and powerful. So, you know, uh, trust, uh, pro, you know, trusting God's provision. Proclaim the gospel is so important. The danger of rejecting the gospel, we're going to look at that. Rejoice that your name is written in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, that's really important at the very end. They're very quick. We'll move through it quite quickly. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into harvest fill. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So the Lord appointed the 72. It's always the Lord that gives us the calling. And in this case, he appoints 70. In, in some manuscripts, it says 72. Uh, in the, whether it's an old manuscript or a young manuscript where they're getting their text from, both of them are in there, 70 and 72. So some scholars write 70, some write 72. They're both not wrong. They're both right. And so uh, in our text, it's 72 others and sent them two by two. I often think, who are the 70? It doesn't tell us who they are or where they came from. I like that because it represents us. Nobody knows our names, really. Nobody knows what we're doing. But we're all heroes in the faith. 
we're all set apart for the work of God. And I like that these 70 are not mentioned by name. They're not the 12. The 12 were sent last chapter. But what caused them to forsake their lives, their livelihood, their friendships, and maybe their relationship with their family members? That's, that's what, what caused them to give that all up to follow Jesus? Because that's what they were doing at that particular time in that culture. To follow Jesus would cost you. Here in America, you know, it may cost you some, but not as much as it would have costed them. But they were willing to give it all up to follow Jesus. May I submit to you, it's simply this, that the love of Christ had overcame them. That Christ met them. Met their needs. Some were brokenhearted, and he mended their brokenheartedness. Some of them were lonely, and he came to them and took away the loneliness. Some of them were in substance abuse, and he set them free. Some of them were in sexual immorality, and he set them free from that. He gave them a life. He gave them really hope for the future. I love in in Luke, it says this in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 18 to 21, and, and what he's doing, he's quoting from Isaiah 61, and this is a Messiah verse. This speaks of the Messiah. And it says there that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Then he rolled up the scrolls, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fasted on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I think these 70 were affected by Jesus Christ's powerful love. Some were in poverty. It says there, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. Is it the poor in spirit or is it the poor um, you know, materially? Each one of those Jesus met. For the poor, the majority of the people on planet Earth are poor. Uh, you know, when you, when you think outside of America, it, you know, there's statistics that tell us that there are, most people are living less than $10 a day today. Now, my wife and I, we traveled in areas where it's $2 a day. $2 a day to buy the rice and beans and food and take care of medical expenses. It doesn't go very far, and that's the majority of people. But Jesus came and he set them free. He told them that I have a kingdom for you where you will be joint heirs with me. You will receive a crown that's gold and you will have all the wealth there is in my kingdom if you follow me. And these poor people turned to him and said, we have purpose in life now. We're following you. Is it poverty of spirit where their spirits there, you know, every one of us has come to a place where we realize we're sinners. We have offended God. We have broke his standard. We've broken his law. We understand that we come to a place where we're poor in spirit. And when Jesus comes and he frees us of that by paying for our sins and saying, I'm going to take your guilt and all the pain that's in you and I'm going to remove that, you're free indeed. I re- free indeed. I remember that day very clear. The moment I gave my life to Jesus, he set me free. All the guilt taken away as if he had 
cleared, cleared out everything and made, made me white as snow inside and out. And I remember that day, and I'll never forget that day. There were many things that Jesus did for me on that day of salvation. Sorrow to heal the brokenhearted. How many of you are brokenhearted? It's the same Jesus we serve today that was there in the 70. I imagine that many 70, the many of the 70, if you were to interview them, they would have all these issues that Jesus removed. The brokenhearted. You know, the brokenness that, that comes from broken relationships or a disillusion from this world system that the devil has created to really destroy you. You're broken. And yet Jesus comes and he mends that brokenness. And he takes it away and he gives you great healing. The bondage to proclaim liberty to the captives. Was it the, the bondage of, of sin? You know, there there are so many that come to our church and we come into counseling sessions that come into counseling sessions with us and they speak about these addictions. And and it's so difficult for us because we know that they're not listening to our words. It has to be a supernatural work of God. And when he comes in and he comes in and rescues them, it's an amazing work. My brother uh before he, you know, he became a Christian, he was an alcoholic, and um, he had six DUIs within a five, six-month period, and uh, he was going to jail. The, the court system had uh, arranged for him to, uh, come to the, come to the court hearing, and he said, well, I'm going to jail, uh, you know, and then he got saved. Before he, it was a week before he was going to see uh, the, the judge, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus and God took that all away from him instantly. And he was done. He was done with alcohol. And now he says to me, he says, well, he goes, you got to drive me. And so I'm driving and he says, well, you know, whatever the judge says, that's, that's the due payment. You know, if, he, if I'm thrown in jail, I'm thrown in jail and I will, I will do it. I'm born again now. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the course that God has laid out for me. So he goes up and the judge looks at all three DUIs, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you as if it was just one. He says, so I'm just going to tell you right now it, that all you have to do is weekends, six weekends. He says, but you've got to promise me that you won't ever come here again. He goes, you're kidding, I'm born again. He tells the judge, I'm born again. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I believe in God, and I'm not going to drink ever again. And from that day forward, he never... He never took a sip. Set free. That's, that's the God we serve. And I think that in the 70, if you were to interview them, they would tell you these things. The suffering, the, the, the recovery of the sight of blind. It could be two areas here that you could look at. The physical blindness. If the, you know, Think about how many times Jesus freed people from blindness, disease, you know, he, the Bible says that if we're to write all the miracles that Jesus did, that the libraries could not contain the booklets. And then spiritually blind. I remember before coming to Christ, I, I wasn't born in the, the family of God. I, I, at 25, God began to call me to himself. And I remember my whole life waving my fist at God, not physically, but through my life's action. Blind had my own mind, my own purpose. I'm the captain of my soul, you know. 
But when Jesus came, he removed my blindness and I could see him for the very first time. And that's when I fell on my face and surrendered to him. The oppression to set liberty, those who are oppressed. Oh man, the devil has a way of oppressing you. If you're not a believer, he has a way of just pouring out problem after problem after problem. And you think there's no way out and you're thinking about suicide. And I want you to know, I want you to know that Jesus is going to free you. The same Jesus we serve is the same Jesus that's here today that wants to do all these things. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus did all this to me <laughs> and for me, I fell on my face and I surrendered to him. I said, I owe you all my life. And I remember the very first day that I gave my life to Jesus. I came home and I was living with my brother who wasn't saved. He didn't get saved until three months later. I came in with a five-gallon, I mean, big old trash can, and I threw everything that wasn't of God in this trash can. And I even threw my brother's stuff, and he's going, what are you doing with my stuff? I'm like, it's going out of here, man. It's a new day. You know? It was radical. Picked up my Bible, began to read. Didn't stop. Just kept reading and reading and reading. And then I laid my life at the cross and said, Lord, whatever you want of me, I'm yours. He would send me to the high schools, to the colleges, out in the highways and byways to preach the gospel, to the mission field. I mean, whatever he wanted, I was willing to give because of his great love for me. And it starts there. If you're thinking about missions or if you're not... (laughs) It starts there. The love of Christ has to overwhelm you. And when he does, oh my goodness, you give everything to him and you say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll do whatever you ask. Sometimes we need to hear the voice of Jesus again. You know, we get stale in our Christian walk and we, 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 we have formatted our Christian walk. Come to church, you know, read my Bible, that's the format. But we're no longer loving our brothers and sisters. We're no longer preaching the gospel. We're no longer being missionaries to this world. We're on the cruise ship. <laughs> and sometimes Jesus wants to hit that reset button and he does it by his still small voice coming deep within our soul and saying, I love you and I adore you and you're mine. Twice mine. I made you and I bought you. <laughs> I love it. This is the 70. The 70 here have been affected by God's great love, and so they're willing to go out, and they do. Jesus sends them ahead to areas where Jesus had not gone to, and they will go, and they will prepare the way, and they will preach the kingdom of God is here. And this is what Jesus has asked of them, and that's what Jesus has asked of us. Now, he sends them two by two, The testimony of one person is not considered acceptable by God. In fact, two or three witnesses were required in order to establish that a person committed a sin worthy of punishment. Deuteronomy 19.15. Another reason he sent the disciples out in pairs was so that there would be a credible witness against those who rejected their preaching. Practical reason, accountability, to encourage one another. Two heads are better than one. I love my life in Christ with my wife. Oh my goodness. We, we get to encourage one another. 
We get to challenge one another. We're, we're a modern-day Priscilla and Aquila, man. You know, it, it, you know there, there are times when you know, she challenges me with her holiness. You know, oh my goodness, I'm like, she's an amazing woman of God. And I'm like, man, I wish I was like her, you know. But, you know, and then, you know, I get up and I preach on a street corner where I saw 20, 30 people. And my wife will go, man, I wish I was like him. So it goes back and forth. We're encouraging each other. Some of you are married and you have a partner like that. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. You're never too old, by the way. Abraham's call was at 75. Sarah followed him. You know, the Bible says she was an amazing woman of God, following Sarah wherever, or Sarah following Abraham wherever he would go. Just this amazing woman of God. And throughout the Bible, you see these amazing couples working for the kingdom of God. And so my wife, when we go two by two, it's amazing. You know, I, I, and I love it. it. It says there in verse two, it says, pray for more laborers. He starts out by saying, the harvest is plentiful. I want you to know that we have such this, this negative speech going around that no one wants to hear the gospel. I want you to know that's a lie. I, I tell you, man, that's the, the lie from the devil. There are those that don't want to hear, but there are those who need to hear and desire to hear and want to hear, but there's no one speaking and sharing. And so we're fishers of men. We go out and we share the gospel. We give invitations. Do you know the number one way to bring people into church? They've done all these studies for many years of the Western church. You know what the number one way is? Invitation. Simple invitation from you. I always invite people, you know. I... I uh, I started a New Year resolution. I'm not eating at all those crazy restaurants, and plus I don't have enough money to do that anymore. But, but when I used to, I would invite them all. When I was a young adult, young adult. Come to Young Adult 7. We have this amazing group. Hey, come to church on Sunday. We have this awesome pastor who shares the Word of God. Always inviting. Number one way to fill up the church, invitation. I, was, uh, I have this uh, gal who's talented at, at just drawings and making things up. And I told her, I go, I need an invitation card. That would be like, wow. <laughs> you know, those kinds. You remember when you used to play with that little game with the paper and you go, does he love me or he, whatever it was, you know. <laughs> I go, make something like that with an invitation, you know. And her mind's going, yeah, I can do something like that, you know. Because that's the number one way. Invitation. You know, no harm, no foul. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? You know, ah, they may say something, but eventually they're going to come. It's just the way it is. The harvest is plentiful. I remember going up to the Himalayas in Nepal, and I was sharing with these elders. We had walked right into their village meeting. And my heart was coming out of my chest, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, save me. You know, they're all looking at me, and I'm like, you know, the, the king of the universe, the God who created all this, has sent me with a message for you. Do you want to hear? And they looked at the elders, and the elders said yes, and so I shared Jesus Christ with him and him crucified. And many of them gave their life to Jesus. Many of them, the gospel. We just need to get out there. They're there. I mean, these are guys who had never heard the name of Jesus. And they turned from their sins and they asked Jesus to come into their life. So those were the guys I would disciple and train. Two by two, it says, pray for more laborers. The harvest is plentiful. 
The workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest. This is Jesus now. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. Listen, you are a direct answer to that prayer, my friends. (laughs) You are the laborers. It's just a matter if we're willing to take that challenge. 2023, the new challenges in my heart, you know, um, share often and share with many, you know. I don't, I don't know if you guys, you know, pray and ask God for spiritual challenges. I think for many, you just need to share the gospel one time. You're scared out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember doing that. But it's time. Scared? Give him an invitation. Give him that big old smile. Invite him to church. Do your part. The missions is not necessarily going across the ocean. It's to your neighbors, your friends around you. Jesus is praying for more labors, and we do too in our time. Did you know that the 1040 window, most missionaries won't go there. The majority go to South America and Europe, but they won't go to the 1040 window. It's difficult. Cost you your life. Did you know very few dollars go into the 1040 window? Very few dollars. I think it's like $1 for every $100 go into the, to the 1040 window. Because nobody wants to do the work there. But Jordan's willing to go. That's amazing. It's amazing. The labors. I'll go. You guys send me. <laughs> and then he says there in verse 3, danger will be present. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. The simple fact is this. When Adam gave the world over to the devil, the devil put into play an anti-God philosophy. So the worldly system, the world system is anti-God. The, the, the universities you're going to now are anti-God. So they're not talking about he and she. They're not talking about marriage in the light of the Bible. They're not talking about the creator of the universe. They're talking about, you know, the evolution, the, the false teaching of, of something that came out of nothing. It just blows your mind. But it's anti-God. And so as you are living for God, there's a hostility towards you. So you are the lamb and they are the wolves. But the thing is, the lamb is protected by God. And you're protected until it's time to go home. You know, when it's time to go home, no, no one can stop that. And no one can, you know, change that outcome. So do your work. There's danger. It's ever good and evil is there. The world system is governed by the devil and opposes everything of God, including your message. And then the, 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 the fourth thing there, it says trusting God's provision. That's really important. Um, he says, do not take a purse or bag or sandal, trusting in God's provision. This was so difficult for me. You know, as I, in San Diego, my wife and I, we started a church uh, from a Bible study and it grew to be a, a good sized church. And, but I worked. I was young enough and um, I couldn't do it now. But I, when I was young, I worked because I wanted to spend money in the, for the mission field. I didn't want to get a paycheck. So I worked with my hands. And everywhere I, I went, I worked with my hands. So we were able to provide money for us to do outreaches. We didn't have to rely on the church. 
we went and did outreaches all over uh, Mexico, the Baja Peninsula, and into the mainland, and, and we were just going everywhere, Canada. And we did this by working overtime and providing and then going and doing these things. So when God called us to the mission field, he says, trust me. And, and I was scared to death. I'm like, Lord, trust that you're speaking to somebody to partner with me to go out into the mission field? And, and, and God says, yes, trust me. And it was so difficult for me to trust him. We left out into the mission field about with 40% of our money, about 45, 46%, which is a no-no. We won't let anybody go to the mission field until they raise about 90%. So we went out there and man, it was a struggle. We didn't have money to buy Bibles. We didn't have money to, for electricity. We didn't have, there's no appliance. My poor wife had to wash clothes by her hands, you know, the old way, you know, and it was, she goes, here, help me. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was so hard. I tried it once, I was like, no, we, you know, but this is the thing. We wrestled with God for provision. When we needed battery and solar, we prayed and we asked God, God, we need solar system. We need batteries and, and we need finances for that. Then the next day or the same day, God would send somebody to give us money for the very amount for that item. We didn't have Bibles and I was passing out Bibles. My wife says, you know, we don't have no money to eat now that you spent it on Bibles. I go, well, I can use, lose a few pounds. Well, that, that day they would call us and go, hey, someone sent this much amount of money and it would be perfect to buy more Bibles than to buy bond food. Anyways. <laughs> it was amazing. Trusting in God. Now, it's now you know, the 10, 12 years, you know, in the mission field full time, I absolutely trust God for every little thing. It's amazing. You know, before I was reliant on myself, but God says, rely on me. And that's the same way here in America. We need to rely on God to do his work. It's a struggle. Some, most, the majority of Americans are living check, paycheck to paycheck. Some can't even give an offering. It's very difficult. And we pray for them. We encourage them. But trusting in God's provision is very, very important. All right, let's continue now in verse 5. It says this, When you enter a home, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in the house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you. This is important. It's simply this. Don't take advantage over people. This house has beans and rice. This house has steaks. <laughs> well, you know who I'm choosing, right? No. <laughs> I'm choosing the first one that offered, right? That's, that's how it's supposed to stay. You know, we traveling into the mission field, man, there are some beds that are like, it was better to sleep on stones, you know, because you're, you're in their house. I remember the very first house we stayed in the village. They had screen but no window, right? And it was winter and it was freezing, and the outhouse was, you know, 60, almost half of a football field away. So you, you know, so you, so you, oh. Anyways, the neighbors would cook their food with hay, straw and dung mixed together, dried it, and then the wind would blow it right into our room. 
And so every night we knew that we were going to get this mixture of dung and you know straw being burnt and going right into our, our, our window and no, no protection, just right through our screen. And all our clothes would smell like this manure smell. And my wife and I would just laugh. We'd like, this is funny, you know? And, uh, and my wife would go outside to brush her teeth because that's what you did out there. You just brush your teeth by the water. And all the people around the village would come in because they wanted to see a blonde-haired gal brushing her teeth. So they would come out, they would come out and they would watch her, right? We, we could have stayed at a different place. There was a hotel about 45 minutes away. But this is the first place they offered to us. We're not going to insult them. We ate whatever food that was put before us, and that's scary, my friends. <laughs> we, uh, my, my friends in Uganda, they always try to give me bat brains. I'm like, what? And monkey brains and bat wings. Uh, how Chicken wings? Yeah. No. I'm like, you know, the, 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 trick is, the trick is this. Carry a bag of trail mix and beat them to the punch. No, I got food for you, you know? <laughs> Oh my goodness, man. <laughs> First Timothy 6 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. The, 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 you know, there's so many charlatans, there's so many peep, thieves in the, in the ministry. They're just taking advantage over the churches and people. That's, it's so wrong. Be satisfied, content. Not going from one house to another house. Just stay there. And, and um, this is important. It's important in our culture as well. Then it goes on in verse 9, and I love this. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of, for Sodom than for that town. Now listen to this, heal the sick. You know, there are some churches that teach that healing has been done away with, the signs and wonders have been done away with. It's because they don't travel outside of America. I want you to know that many of the believers that we deal with are Christians because God did a miracle for them. Many of them. India and Nepal and Africa, many other places that we've been God's hand brought about some kind of miracle for them, physical miracle. And they gave their lives to Jesus. This is the same message that we do. We come and we pray for them. If it doesn't happen, we pray because we just believe that God can do anything anyway. Let's just pray for them. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now bring a message. Bring the gospel message. This is so powerful. Introduce the, the, the gospel, it says there in Romans chapter 1, it says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Understand this, that when they're hearing the gospel, the gospel is the good news. Man was separated from God by their sins, but Jesus brought man back to God for pain for their sins. It's the good news. When you tell them the full gospel, God does something amazing in the soul. He illuminates he takes off the blindness and they can understand. That's the power of God. And we do this all over the world, places that you don't hear the gospel. This is what Jordan's doing. You give the gospel and let God do his amazing work. 
when we were in Nepal and I was preaching to those elders, I'm like, how do they even understand this? I don't know, but I'm going to give it to them and let God do his work. How many of you want to receive Jesus now? And Raise their hand, I do. Then we have to backtrack and say, listen, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't put Jesus with your other gods. You have to reject all your other gods to receive the true living God. How many want to receive? They still raise their hand. Not as many, but they still will raise. Those are the ones we disciple. Give them the gospel. Give them the good news. You know, this is the one thing that can change a person's life forever. I was on a course in my life going the opposite way of God. Someone gave me the good news, turned me right back to God. And now he's radically changing me to love my neighbors, to love God with all my heart, might, and soul. That's what we do. We give the good news. We give the gospel. Don't hold back. You know, give it to them. I had a couple um, in uh, in uh, right before Christmas, down and out, and they came and I said, "Have you ever heard the gospel?" And they said, "No." And I go, "Let me share with you." And, and I shared with that with them. And I said, "God's going to remove all your guilt, and He's going to take it away." And she says, "I can feel it happening right now." said, I can't promise you a good life, but I can promise you this, that you will live in eternity in heaven forever now. They both gave their lives to Jesus. It was amazing. Just give the gospel, the good news. That's the, 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 the one message that we all have that can change the course of history. I think of the Calvary Chapel movement and the Jesus movement in the early uh, 70s, well, the late 60s and the early 70s. No... No young person, the, the young pe- the community didn't trust the politician. They didn't trust the older folks, right? It's, it's kind of what's happening now, right? You know, society was just on drugs, sexual immorality, just spiraling out of control, kind of like now. Then Jesus came, right, through the message, through the preaching of Chuck and the many more, Chuck Smith and the many more that were there in the Jesus movement. And it radically changed the U.S., put it back on path towards God. We need that today. That starts with the gospel message. You have it. You have it. He says there that, and, I, and I, cause that culture there, he says, if they don't want to receive your message, just kick the dust off your feet. And they know exactly what you're doing at that culture. They're like, oh, you're, you know, hey, you're rejecting the message. Oh, you know, they're getting bad and they're just making a statement. They really want to press it deep within their hearts. You're rejecting an important message. And then Jesus says this in verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in his cloth and ashes, but it will be more, toler- more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths, speaking of hell. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now these communities here, we're talking about Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin. This is the area that Jesus did most of his miracles. He did amazing miracles. If, 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 if there was 
cities that should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, it was this, these, these cities. This is where the disciples came from. This is where the work of God was manifested in a powerful way. They had a witness, they had a testimony of Jesus himself, and by seeing the work of God, and Jesus said this often, he says, believe that God is in me for my works. My works alone prove that I'm God. Capernaum was the center of Jesus' Galilean ministry. It was the place of many mighty works. There Jesus healed the servants of the centurion and the noble's man's son, Peter, lived there. It was there that Jesus healed his mother-in-law and the paralytic man in Capernaum, Christ, had cast out demons. And that appears to have been the home of Jairus, whose daughter was raised from the dead. They had all the information needed to make a choice to follow Jesus or continue in their empty, sinful life. The majority chose empty lives, and they will end up in hell. A place for those who rejects God's rescue plan. In America, we are very privileged. We are like Capernaum. In Christ, we have the highest blessing and the clearest revelation of God possible. Listen, in America, Christ is being proclaimed. The evidence is there. The first century, I mean, to follow Christianity, you have to follow it all the way to the first century where Jesus began his life. We have Matthew, we have Luke, we have Mark, we have the Gospels. We have the eyewitnesses that were there in the first century. We have the historian that saw some kind of information in the second uh, century and also in the third that speak about the Messiah, speaking about his Latin name, Christus. They saw information written in historical books outside of the Bible. We have all this information to prove the existence of Jesus Christ, who said, by the way, the only one who ever said this up until Jesus, that he was God in human flesh. No other religious person ever did that or said that. It wasn't until after Jesus. If you want to see the face of God, then look at the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want to see the apex of power of God, look at the resurrection. Do you want to see God's love? Then look to the cross. God commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want to see divine justice? Then look at the Lamb of God. Are you looking for an illustration of mercy? Then read the gospel of Christ. It's here in America. We're we're responsible for what we know. To whom much is given, much is required. If Capernaum is worse than Sodom because it had seen the Savior, then where does that put us? If the heavens open and fire and brimstone descended on the cities of the old world, And how much jeopardy are the cities of our time in America? The reason they don't want to believe in the evidence of God is simply they love their life. They love their life in sin. That's what Jesus said in John 3. They love darkness rather than light. That's it. The evidence is there. Listen, we we have some of the most brilliant men in the U.S. that have given their lives to Jesus. Presidents. We have Supreme Court justice that are Christians today and throughout history. Science, uh, science, scientists of every field 
that love Jesus, that go to the mission field with us, doctors, lawyers, laborers, in every field of education. The truth is there, just willing whether you're ready to receive it, to accept it. Some of my friends that I've known for years, they know it's true, but they'll tell me, they'll be honest, they go, but I love my sinful life. I go, oh, you love your emptiness, you love to fight with your wife all the time, you, you know, on and on and on. I tell them, and they're like, well, I never thought of it like that. And I go, there's such a better life in Christ Jesus. To whom much is given, much is required. And I love the closing here, verse 17. It says, in the 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. These guys came back. We love the power of God. We love the miracles. We love the signs and wonders. Man, we love being used by him. They were so excited, and Jesus reminds them, it's the relationship. Listen to what he says here, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. My name is written by his blood finger. It's in heaven. Jesus did that. Because of the relationship that we have with him. Listen, I have shared a lot about serving the Lord today, as the 72 have. I've shared a lot about being a missionary, but I want you to know that you can't do that until you have fallen in love with Jesus. You can't. It doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> but when you have fallen in love with the Savior, then you will submit to every word that he has given. It's easy to follow the word of God when you're in love with God. That's our jobs, our job is to point you to Christ Jesus. We want you to see his great love. We don't want you to see religion. <laughs> you got to do this, you got to do that. You gotta, no, no, I want you to see the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels you to a life of obedience. These 70 were transformed by the power of God. And I believe this, I believe the majority of you, 95%, maybe more, you've been touched by God already. And sometimes I think we get on this pattern of behavior where we're just go to church, we read our Bible, you know, we're on the big old giant, you know, cruise boat. <laughs> now it's time to get off the cruise boat and get back to doing what God has asked you to do. And that's a wrestling match, by the way. That's a wrestling match with God through prayer. It's a wrestling match with sacrificing your time and your efforts. You know, what do you... Let me dig a little bit. <laughs> How do you tithe? What do you give to the Lord? That really speaks volume of where your heart is. Is it heavenly or is it earthly? Uh, you know, that, that's a real important uh, aspect of our lives, you know. And the, the church, you know, we, you know the, the, the church, you seem the church seems to always talk about money, but we, we try not to talk about it unless it's mentioned in the Bible here at Calvary Chapel. But this, the truth of the matter is, your heart speaks loudly. And so it tells you where your pocketbook goes. 
And so if it's to this world, which doesn't garnish much rewards in heaven, then you're, you're, out, of, you're out of whack. You're, out of, you're unbalanced. Well, I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. That's his work. But it's the, what do you do with your time and your efforts? I don't know about you. I, I, you know, before I was in full-time ministry, outside of work, it was always about the kingdom of God. Always strategizing how we can go to the, do something in America or Mexico or Canada. It was always something of how I can go to and, and stand in the corner and pass out Bibles. And tra- it was always something wrestling in my soul. Now full time, it's amazing. I told Ross, I go, I think I cheated the church. And he says, how so? And I go, because I would have done this for free. <laughs> I love God. He's bought me with his blood. He's given me life and life more abundantly. And he wants to do that for you this morning. In conclusion, it's really simple. How much do you love Jesus? We who are Christians need to live in constant humility and submission to Jesus. We need to pray for the salvation of our neighbors and our nation. We need to work towards that salvation through consistent evangelism. But it starts with knowing Christ first. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for your saints. This is the new year. The first day we give you our lives. We want to know your love. We want to know the depths of your love, Lord, for us that would constrain us to a life of obedience. I pray for your saints right now, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them that this day would be different than any other day ever in their lives, that when they came through those doors, Lord, and when they leave this door, these doors, it would be way different. Changes. New changes for your glory. Pray for that, Lord. Pray that you be exalted, you be glorified by our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.